Hello, you're listening to The Joys of Teaching Literature. My name's Scott, and we're talking about all things uh, teaching high school English. So if you want to know more about me, my website's theteachersworkshop.com. I offer online professional development for high school English teachers. I have a course with uh, three different kind of sections to it, um, and uh, you can take it at your own pace, and you can download all, a lot of my materials and units and different handouts that I have for my class, and basically I try to make life easier and <laughs> also make you happier and more excited to go into work to try new things and, and do new projects. Um, uh, I'm, I just started doing this uh, free literacy block, I'm calling it, uh, where students can basically just spend time doing whatever they want, and I'm just sort of there to give them as many ideas as possible and to sort of guide them on their journey. I actually had a kid today um, talk about, um, he was like, can I like research different athletes and watch videos and um, sort of take notes, and I have like this Excel spreadsheet where I can, like I keep track of like how they play and who they are and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, you know, there's a, a great anthology called Best American Sports Writing, you know, so if you sort of take that approach, you're, you're just doing sort of research for this larger piece that you're going to write, or maybe it's a podcast where you interview people, or so it's just, you know, it's exciting having conversations like that, and um, I'll, t- I'll be talking more about that probably in another podcast, because that's a pretty exciting project, I think, that I'm going to pr- start pursuing, and I can see it growing to be this thing that it takes over a little bit more of my class uh, as time moves along. But uh, this week, we're actually going to talk about something that's <laughs> a little bit more dorky, but is probably um, the most important thing that we do, uh, which is close reading. Uh, and I'm going to talk about poetry and prose. I'm going to sort of try to narrow it down in as few steps as possible. I, I had a bunch of different steps. Like, ah, let me try to sort of like get these down to five main steps. Um, so that sort of make it easier for students to sort of follow these steps and for you to, you know, have these sort of steps that you go over in your class. Um, but it is, it is so important for so many different reasons. I mean, really what, what we do, we teach English language arts, right? It's it, and that just that sort of title that we have alone really, um, speaks to the fact that, that we're dealing mostly with, with novels and literature and fiction, uh, that there's where there's a craft to it, right? There's some sort of mind behind the poem or the passage. Um, of course, when we close read a passage from a novel, um, that passage um, is usually we're going to pick it because it's you know, it's well constructed, it's logical, it moves from one place to another, it's got all kinds of literary devices sort of going on in there. Um, it's obviously going to be a crucial moment in the plot of the story. So we're not going to we're not going to sort of you know, just sort of close read all the time. We're not going to just close read any passage. It's got to be a passage that's, you know, I I really think that 45 minutes, I guess maybe just because that's mostly the block of time that I've taught over my career. We have a sort of mixed block schedule now or sort of a combination of different uh, period lengths. But um, 45 minutes for, for me doesn't feel that long. And I feel like a one passage or maybe two passages can be, can be fit into one period. And that's, that's a huge advantage, right? Cause it doesn't require a lot of lesson planning. It's just like, we're going to read, you know, we're going to do a close reading on this passage today and that's your lesson plan. Um, you know, how you tackle it and you know, how you get the students to, to sort of complete these five steps is really up to you. Um, but but really, on close reading is what you're doing is you're uncovering the world of ideas and feelings that exists underneath the first reading, 
right? Your first impression of a text, so you read it, but then there, it's like, okay. So that's just, yeah, normally in class, that's mostly what we're doing is we're reading it out loud and then, you know, or students are just rereading it in groups or in pairs or independently. Um, most often, I would say in my class, we read it out loud as a class and then we just talk, we talk about what it means. But close reading is, yeah, I don't know what sort of technology you have in your class, but for we have a, something called a document camera where I can put the, a sheet of paper underneath the camera and that projects onto a screen. And so when I write with, say, red ink or whatever it is, um, they can see what I'm writing. And so we can all sort of collectively, and then I have handouts for students, so they have the same passage in front of them. You know, I have the passage in front of me. They're taking notes. They're writing down what I'm writing down. They're writing down what they think. Uh, and so everybody's sort of working on the same level um, with, you know, you know take, everybody's got the same visual in front of them. Um, and so that's more than just, hey, what does this mean? It's like, all right, let's really look at the structure of this and see how it's organized and see how it unfolds. Um, so that's more, that's more than just, again, a first impression. Like, hey, this is what I think about this text. But then we're going to sort of take it a couple steps further. Um, and of course, you know, that's one the sort of part of the first step that I'm going to go over is that it's important to always establish context with the passage, right? Like where it's happening in the novel, if it's not a poem, right? If it's in a novel, that's one of the first things we have to do is like even, even before we look at it sometimes, I'll kind of like, all right, what's the context? What's going on before this happens? What's going on after it? Why is this a crucial moment for this character in the whole the whole text? And I always study the book in its entirety because I have students read the entire text independently. So I can have those conversations. So it's not just like, oh, we're on chapter six right now. Here's this really important moment. Look, let's look at it. Um, but it's okay. So you've read the entire book. Here's this moment on page 127 or whatever it is. Um, what's going on in this time? What's going on with the character? You know, and so that's some of that conversation is is important sometimes before you read it, um, just so they know where we're at in the text, and then and then they read it and they can sort of consider all of that context when they start to read it, but but really we're asking them to spend a lot of t it's it's about time. It's like I said, you can spend forty five minutes on one passage. It's really about taking time to take in every single word, phrase, and sentence that appears in that passage. Um, involves breaking the text into parts and then and then putting it back together. Uh, students in the close reading slowly peel back the layers of meaning. And this is the fun part because I think without close reading, sometimes we don't students don't actually get the full, you know, the full sort of message or meaning that comes out of the piece. Um, if you were just say, oh, what does this mean? Okay, let's go to the next thing. You're not really appreciating how much work has gone involved. And that, the way that I explain to my students, sometimes I think, um, you know, you look at all this figurative language and grammatical patterns, sounds, all these really, really, really specific things happening in the passage. And it feels sometimes like, oh, did the writer really mean to do all this stuff? And sometimes the answer is no. But sometimes it's, you know what, if it's a 300-page novel, you know, how many days are in a year, it, you can spend a full day. Let's say you spend a full day. So it was, I forget who the I was just listening to a writer talk about this. He's like, think about it. I spend a full work day <laughs> on one page. Um, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. So if I were to spend eight hours writing one page, then then you can really write. You can you can give the language that attention that it deserves, um, and and make for these really complex plot lines. In addition to these these single moments where you're inside the character's head, 
um, and, and really, really getting the full experience. Um, and so it, and in addition to the fact that, it, you know, if it's from a novel and not a poem, you maybe sometimes consider the stuff with poetry, but not really. But you're thinking about the narrative voice, the point of view, the tone of the speaker and the context of the, well, I already mentioned the context of the passage, but really the, the point of view and the narrative voice is in the third person. There's an omniscient narration, limited omniscient narration. Whose point of view is it? When does it switch points of view? Why are you only getting this first person point of view? What point of view are you not getting if you're just getting this first person point of view, right? So all those different questions. So if you're not getting all the information, what information are you missing? And how does that shape, you know, the, the, the storytelling style here? Um, so all those are really complicated questions uh, as well when you do close reading. Um, it, it really uncovers the true beauty also. I, I think that's sort of interesting concept to think of, of language as this beautiful thing um, that's, that's extremely complicated. Um, and, and, and I think students gain an appreciation for uh, what they're reading uh, when they do close reading. If you were just sort of keep going through, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Uh, as you sort of teach a book, they're not going to get the full picture of, of why literature is so complicated. What makes it literature, right? We, close reading is about celebrating why what makes literature literature, and that's the fact that it's complicated and takes a while to, to, to figure out exactly what's going on. And the fact that, like, when you do close reading, so many students in the class are thinking so many different things, right? Just like a good poem sort of opens up these questions uh, for students to consider they start to see, sort of see like, oh my gosh, this is saying so many different things. We can talk about it for 45 minutes. This is like a little paragraph or two, right? Um, and, and so, you know, I like to talk about close reading as like shaking like a jar or some kind of container with little balls in it, or like it's almost in an infinite amount of balls that can fall out of it, right? Like the more and more ideas and feelings come out of the passage. Um, and, and this is a process that happens year after year. I've been teaching Hamlet forever, uh, and there's still always new things that pop out of there. I'm like, oh, yeah, like I haven't really considered that. And I always get so excited, especially when you've taught the same poems year after year, uh, when somebody uh, makes an observation where something, you know, that you haven't sort of noticed before is there. And, and so that's just that's wonderful because that's always that's just happening all the time. Um, so there's five steps. Let's go over those quickly. So the first one is to read. <laughs> Obviously, they got to read the passage first, uh, but then immediately after that, they're going to highlight or underline or whatever uh, and paraphrase the poem or the passage. Paraphrasing is just sort of getting the literal sort of what's happening with this, what's going on, um, just so they understand that basic level of this happened, right? Uh, they're saying this. Um, there's an internal, you know, there's an internal sort of process where students make sense of what's going on in the text. You know, that means defining unknown words, right? And that's, if you don't understand what the word means, obviously you're not going to know what the passage means. And so you have to look up that dictionary definitions. Um, they should also, you know, highlight, like I mentioned, highlight or underline what they consider to be a few of the most important or confusing moments uh, in the passage. So maybe they can come back to that part that they underlined. Like, I didn't understand that before, but maybe I'm going to return to it now. Um, and... Uh, and so because of that, I've already sort of talked about the context a little bit, but that was the other point I was going to make is to sort of figure out the context of the passage, which is not easy. The kids always forget to think about the context because it means sort of looking up or sort of discussing 
what it was that happened before because there's a lot of different things that happened before a passage. There's a lot of different things that happened after a passage, but would one of those things are relevant when you're sort of interpreting the passage? And of course, looking at the character's development, right? Um, when you look at a single passage, what you're looking for is where does that character begin at the beginning and where do they end up at the end? And sort of that's happening on a sort of large scale throughout the whole novel. So you have to sort of consider that when we're thinking about close reading as well. Um, why is this important to the development of the character or a certain idea? All right, so that's sort of our second step. So the second step is informally write down um, the main idea or the topic of the passage. So I think that's really important. So you read it, right? Get those basics of like, okay, I don't know this word. <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase it and figure it out. But then that there's some theme or idea or topic even that should come out of the first reading, and that's going to be sort of the foundation for what's going to come later, which is a formal thesis statement. All right, so this is sort of about you know maybe the brainstorming process before they write an essay on a passage or just in a class conversation. It's like, all right, what's this basically about? Okay, so we got that. Um, and those ideas should pop out right away. So it doesn't need to be, again, it doesn't need to be formal. It's just loose, like, you know, this is about uh, fear or imagination or love, right? So they just jot down these possibilities. And then they're going to revisit those impressions um, later. The third step is to identify and, and interpret specific literary techniques. So this is definitely challenging. But what I try to tell my students, well, first of all, I go over all the techniques I want them to know early on in the year. Make sure everybody's on the same page with being able to identify them and identify them quickly. Um, we sort of narrow it down to about 15, so it's not too overwhelming. Like, I don't want them to so we, you know, just kind of identify all these crazy-sounding literary techniques, right? There's some that, are, that, are, that happen more frequently in literature than others. Um, um, but what I try to communicate is it's not really just about identifying as many as you can. Right? Sometimes early on, we'll just do it for practice. Just, okay, let's find as many as we can just to get in the habit of identifying different techniques. Um, but, but ultimately, it's really just about finding a, if, if a couple, like two, three, three, or four, maybe. That's a lot, right? They come out of one passage. Um, so they really want to focus on picking the ones that are really important for the meaning of the passage, not just like, oh, there's onomatopoeia or there's synecdoche or metonymy or there's an alliteration there. Like, it could just be a random, like, it, you know, and it, sometimes, usually, alliteration has some point, right? You're putting those two, you push two sounds, two words together. You're thinking about how they contrast or compare, right? Um, of course, rhyme has usually has some reason. Sometimes it doesn't, right? Sometimes or that we can't figure out what the purpose is, and that's okay. We want to find lines just like we would when we interpret a passage without close reading. Like, hey, this line means this. Um, so we want to pick, always pick lines that stick out um, and something they can sort of talk about when they're, when they're discussing it or when they're writing their essay. Um, so that's number three. And then number four is where you're sort of looking for patterns. So that's a, a ch different from like, okay, here's these individual things happening you know, in this particular line, but it's okay. So what's happening in the entire passage? Um, and so, so that could be different themes or ideas, um, but ultimately you're sort of thinking about where the passage starts and where it ends. You know, maybe there's a surprise in there somewhere, a suspense where the passage is building up to something and then, you know, some moment of violence or something happens or, you know, I'm going to break up with you or whatever it is. Um, or maybe there's irony where there's an expectation that's set up in the novel and this moment sort of reverses that, right? Or there's a moment of elaboration or maybe it's in the passage there's an introduction to an idea, especially poems, right? They have titles, then they introduce an idea somewhere in the beginning of the poem 
And then towards the end, there's a conclusion or what's famously called a concluding couplet, right? And a, and a sonnet has a concluding couplet. Um, so what is what is happening by the end of the poem? So we're sort of looking at the structure of it in that way. Maybe it digresses at, at one point and gets off topic, but then it comes back to an idea. A parallel structure is always something that happens, you know, let me think about the word structure, parallel structure, right? There's different parts of a sentence or a few sentences uh, where the, the structure is the same. So why is it the same? Is it something about the order or the way it's arranged uh, that makes us sort of think about uh, the syntax there? And then repetition, it's a, simple, it's a simple device, but we were talking about this so much with William Blake, he always sort of comes back to these ideas that he like word, the word happy, we were thinking about it with the, we were studying the fly and the tiger and the chimney sweeper poems in class couple last couple of days. And, um, and William Blake's perfect for this. I mean, he, like, it's so, it's got the, the, the rhythm has a purpose. The rhymes all have a purpose. The alliterations, the, all the sounds, the metaphors, they all have a very deliberate purpose. And, it, the language is, is easily accessible. It's not very, really long, complicated vocabulary terms or anything like that, um, you know, and the, and the techniques are something that they can easily identify. So William Blake's great. Yeah, I do the uh, fly and the tiger together, and then I do the chim two chimney sweepers together, and it just there's just so much that comes out of those just conversations. I do it year after year, and it's wonderful and awesome. Um, there's there's a real joy there when you get when I collect the no I, so I give all my poems to my students in this packet, and so when I collect the packet I tell them you know take marginal notes or annotations whatever you want to call it, um, on these poems and I'm going to sort of give that a grade to make sure that you're like paying attention that you're you know practicing the skill of analysis, and um, <laughs> I get them I get, I get them back with like circles and like different colors and. It's just a it's just a real joy to see because you're seeing how complicated it is. Like right, it's a visual to that te is a test of testament uh, to the complexity of of that passage. And so it's just like really exciting that it's it's taking us all this work to get to get to the bottom of what this person wrote. Um, so number five, very last thing is to create a formal argument. Um, so that's something that's going to happen maybe in class because you're practicing it, or maybe because it's you're giving an essay like an explication where they have to go through the, the a close reading of a particular poem or passages, and that's that's the task that you're giving them. And that's always a challenging one because, again, in that essay, sometimes I'll say, okay, you know, do a close reading of this passage, but also consider the entire novel. So then I expect them to also quote the entire novel in their interpretation of the passage. So that's always a challenge, um, you know, because you're sort of looking at, two, you know, mostly this one thing and the ideas in this one thing, but but looking at it, you know, it, again, it's context. Um, so, but yeah, really that this is the final step is to where they bring all their ideas together. They just took notes on this poem. They heard their classmates, you know, conversations and thoughts of the teacher and so sort of putting it all together uh, into a thesis statement. And what I'd like to try to say about this always, I always stress this with a thesis statement, is that it's just the beginning of the essay, right? Um, this doesn't have to be the final and only thing the poem says. And I think that's what's frustrating with students with poetry is that they think it has to say this one thing when really it's an explosion of ideas, you know, in a, in a poem. So there's many, many ideas. And the thesis is just your first kind of blanket statement um, about what the main idea is. But there's, of course, many, many ideas 
uh, that, are, that we're able to explore by in, different, interpreting different quotes. So that's why I, that's how I sort of approach the thesis conversation because I feel like they just get obsessed with it and then they just in their essays will say their thesis statement over and over and over again. <laughs> you're like, okay, I get that you're trying to prove this thesis statement to me, but there's other ideas and there's other creative ways of extending this initial idea. And, you know, again, it's just the beginning. Um, so don't get sort of shackled by it. Don't get, you know, locked in a cage, but with your thesis statement. Um, so I, I think this whole process allows students to do a couple of things, but the important thing is uh, that it, it gets them to appreciate the sequencing and logic involved in writing, right? It's We're saying, like, here's how it's done, right? And here's here's this sort of science of, of what we're doing. It, it is very scientific. It's, it's great for the, the kid who loves physics, right? Because it's like, all these different moving parts that you have to put together, and it's like this puzzle, right? Just like science, and uh, and it really shows the complexity of it. Shows the sort of unconscious workings of the character. It's you know, it's oftentimes that's what comes out of a close reading is like, all right, the writer is trying to do this, but really the the, the you know, say the character, if it's in the first person, is revealing all of it. like what's what's this passage reveal about what they feel. And you don't always get that in just this sort of surface reading of what they're saying. You really have to dig into it. And that involves like this psychological interpretation of what's going on beneath the poem, right, or beneath the, the passage. And that's what you're looking for is what's hidden. And that's where the interpretation comes in. So it's, it's like this great sort of life skill uh, where we can, you know, hopefully, at, you know, as we do this throughout the year, get to be good thinkers and get to be critical thinkers where we sort of can hear anything or read anything and, and, and engage in this process of thinking about it on a deeper level. It takes a lot of mental effort and de- de- deliberation, uh, but it also shows them uh, that they could, they too, right? They can, that they can be creative writers, that they can be a part of this expressive process. You know, this poet did this, you know, and that's how I always end my poetry, you know, not just with a, uh, hey, write an essay on this poem, but hey, go write an, go write a poem. Do all, try to do all of those things that, you know, we spend 45 minutes getting to the bottom of this poem and it's like 12 lines long. It's not even long. Like think about what you could do. Like what can you say that's complicated and, you know, talks about a single image or, or a single uh, memory or moment in your life and that's symbolic or represents something greater. What moments in your life are symbolic, right? And so they can sort of engage in that same process that, that, that great writers engage in. And that's the greater purpose. All right. If you enjoyed listening, please uh, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.